In the 1980s, as the moral majority was growing in power amongst Christians and, and pressing them to vote certain ways, this idea came up that we were in a culture war, that the church was somehow battling for control of culture with evil forces out there that wanted to transform our culture from a Christian culture to a to an evil one, if you will, or a non-Christian one. And so this idea of a culture war came on. And, and so it's been the way that the church has manipulated the votes and, and the Republican Party has manipulated the votes of evangelical voters by saying, hey, you're either voting for the good side of the culture war or the evil side of the culture war. Make your choice. Are you voting for good or evil? And of course, nobody wants to vote for evil. And so that's been the way that uh, evangelical voters have been swayed for decades now. So I had a chance to talk to some young guys that have started a podcast called Veterans of Culture Wars. And they're going to talk about how the evangelical church has looked at the world in this viewpoint that the church is at war with our culture. I hope you enjoy this conversation today. First, let me tell you, I want you to join my Patreon page. And it's, you know, it's a way we get a little bit of support for the nonpartisan evangelical. Some have asked, how can I help? And of course, always you share our stuff, you like it, you comment on it. Uh, recently, I was on TikTok and, and saw my TikTok followers take off. Many of you listening may not be on TikTok, but if you are, find old Pastor Paul on TikTok and follow me so we can build that followership up there. Um, but also our Patreon site. If you go to the website, npepodcast.com, that's nonpartisan evangelical, npepodcast.com, click on that Patreon button in the upper right corner. Um, it'll give you a chance to financially uh, kind of put some money into what we do and buy some equipment. I'm not getting rich off of it by any stretch of the imagination. And also gives you access to some cool stuff, which you can find out on the website there. So go to npepodcast.com, click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, and I would love to have you join our nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. Now, to my friends Dave and Zach, the veterans of culture war, here on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush-for-brains evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump? It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. Paul Swearingen here on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. Glad you're with us today, where again we discuss religion and politics and the things we ought not to talk about in pleasant uh, mixed company. And uh, also just work from this idea that, that God is not mad at you. He's not mad at the world. He's actually in a pretty decent mood, but he would like some things to change maybe in the evangelical church. And so I have great guests with me today to chew on some of those ideas. And they have a podcast they're doing now called Veterans of the Culture Wars. And I can't wait to find out the premise of that podcast, but I have Zach Malm and, and Dave Lester with us. And why don't you guys tell where you are in the world right now and uh, say hi. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having us on. This is uh, Dave Lester. I'm in the greater Seattle area. As am I. This is Zach here, the greater Seattle area. <laughs> Not greater than anything else. We're nonpartisan about cities, <laughs> which is why when we heard about your podcast, it just seemed like a perfect fit for us. Yeah, People struggle with the nonpartisan name because they think that they think that means I'm going to get mad at the left and the right. And I'm saying, no, it actually means I'm just not a part of the partisan evangelical church. And so 
I tend to be a little harsher on the conservative side, but uh, you're, you're deconstructing the religious right or exercise, exercising that as the only thing that evangelicals should be or something. Yeah. And I assume if we deconstruct that, there will be a day then when I go after the other side, it, because we'll, we'll swing back as humans do the other way. But tell me about veterans of culture wars. I guess, explain what culture wars are. Some people aren't churchy people who listen to this podcast, so you may have to uh, explain to them a little bit. And, and what makes you veterans of those? Who wants to start? I'll, I'll go ahead and go for it. The podcast, I'll just start way back to my idea of launching a podcast. And because it is kind of cliche for two white guys to start a podcast in the pandemic. I think that's happening a lot out there. But I've had an idea for a podcast for a while because I think, and more just like a hobby because I enjoy the art of what this is. And I started talking to Zach about it, about what we could possibly do. And we came up, the title was Zach's idea, Veterans of Culture Wars, as we both have been in the evangelical movement for a long time and have come to this Trump era and definitely have thoughts about our entire time in the evangelical movement. But the podcast, Veterans of Culture Wars is the name, but it really is an evangelical explainer podcast. And I came at this with the lens of when someone clicks on a website and a news article and they see the name evangelical, you know, evangelicals supported Trump, evangelicals are doing this, evangelicals feel this way. Zach and I wanted to get to what's behind the evangelical label. What are the beliefs, history, culture, and also personal stories of people involved in evangelicalism? And Dave, someone who converted as a teen, whereas I grew up in an evangelical household, my, I went to the same evangelical college that my parents went to, and they ran a worship leader supply store for 30 years. They, they started wow. in the 70s that it was a sheet music and choir robes and the, the Christmas musicals for the kids. I, I, I listened to dozens and dozens of kids' church musicals for fun in my spare time as a young child. And I attended with my dad once the annual Christian booksellers association conference and met publishing heads and things like that. I, I went to Christian school. They went to public school. I was taken uh, by my parents to abortion protests and so I have some experience with seeing the evangelical culture as it transitioned in the 70s and 80s, for me, the 80s, into being from being primarily about beliefs and doctrine and the church into trying to take on the American culture and define it and change it and the the idea of figuring out what in the world but not of it meant and in the 80s that increasingly meant not of it <laughs> isolating ourselves <laughs> you know we saw post the civil rights era the the explosion of christian schools as essentially being ways to keep segregation going but in the 80s Wow, there's a big statement right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what drove a lot of that. And the term culture wars has been big in evangelicalism, particularly as these focus on the family shows came up and this idea. And I'm with you, Zach. I grew up and my dad was an evangelical pastor. And so I've been in, and we had people come and speak about the evils of rock and roll. And if you played it backwards and all of those things and the, the culture wars then became this idea. And that really developed in the eighties that the culture was at war with us as Christians and, and was trying to change our country from being a Christian country and all those things. How, how has your journey out of that mindset, Ben, Zach. And I'm assuming that it has because before we came on the air, you asked if it was okay to swear. 
and to say some curse words. And I said, hell yeah, why not? And so I'm assuming <laughs> you're not quite in that same mindset. What's that journey been like for you? In college, I started attending a, a very cool, very cool reformed church that imploded a decade later, but was very heavy on the, if you look at the translation of brood of vipers, that's basically cursing and like <laughs> trying to attract the smokers and the drinkers and the cussers and all of that, which in hindsight, it felt a little forced and weird marketing of the church's aesthetic. But yeah, I never personally connected with the political side of that. I've never been a political conservative. And they say a lot of that comes down to just how you're wired and what are the things that, that drive you or people that, that lean conservative politically tend to, at their core, be more driven by perceived dangers and fears and people on, on the left tend to be more driven by perceived need outward and empathy towards others. And I, I, I guess as somebody that has always felt big feelings about things outside of my control, I naturally drifted to that direction. But yeah, as with many people, I, I, I experienced the fallout of, of a megachurch due to an out-of-control, misogynistic, blowhard pastor with too much control. I directly was involved with the implosion of that church via running a website that was publishing people's stories that had left and uh, the, the basic idea was we're people that felt that God brought us to this church and brought us out of it. And because there was such a cultish mentality within the church where they were telling people it wasn't safe to go to other churches, this was a good and trusted method for people still there to find a story that they could resonate with from people that they knew that knew had been involved in building that community there. And uh, ultimately this was like a, a New York times front page story when this church went down. And I'm uh, assuming I know the church you're talking about. Mars Hill. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Wow. So, so you were in the middle of all that. Wow. Yeah, I was, I was, I'd left a couple of years before that happened, but I, I was there for nine years and, knew a lot of the the people that had been there a long time and were in leadership positions and things like that. So that definitely led to a lot of disillusionment. And I see Mark Driscoll as a con man. And definitely that led to ideas that after Trump was elected, the two experiences of the evangelical embrace of Trump and the Seattle embrace of Mark Driscoll blended together and it's pretty difficult to not look at a lot of celebrity evangelical culture at least and not just see that as a lot of con men doing a really effective job. Oof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting and and I'm a little bit older than you guys I, and I've I felt like there's been something wrong in this evangelical mix for quite a while. And, and so I always say Trump's not the problem. He's just the latest manifestation of the problem that's been coming for quite a while. Dave, let's go to you. What is your assessment of where evangelicalism is in the context of American culture now? What, how do you see evangelicalism now in America? Oh, man. And I should preface this by saying that I still consider myself an evangelical, which is something Zach and I joke about on the podcast. We're, we're in different places, which I think makes the podcast really interesting. To so, Zach, you're not, an, you're not an evangelical now? I don't really know where I land these days. <laughs> I'm at that place where, you know, 
I I stopped going to church like a year before the pandemic or so. I I had been playing worship music and and all this and just things happened. My dad died, been through some trauma, needed to take a break. And I'm at a place where right now I'm okay with sitting in that vague space of some of those things are just so in my core and written on my soul because I became a Christian when I was three years old and it just shaped everything about how I saw the world that it's really tough to say. I just, I don't really believe any of that, but I'm definitely like, eh, yeah. I, don't I think really I'm in the same if, place. I, I mean, Genesis I do a podcast. doesn't have to be literal, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I do a podcast where I call myself the nonpartisan evangelical, but I'm, I am struggling with, do I even match that term anymore? But I, there's a part of me I'm not giving it up just because somebody else is screwing it up. So Dave, I interrupted you in the midst of your assessment there of it. No problem, man. All good stuff. But yeah, so I still consider myself an evangelical, but I think the evangelical church, and I'll just limit this by saying in America, is in substantial trouble. And I'm not sure, I don't think it's on the brink of collapse tomorrow, because as we look across the landscape, there's tons of mega churches. There's lots of money running through mega churches. There still is a Christian subculture with contemporary Christian music and other stuff that still is generating a lot of money to probably keep people around. But I, I think spiritually, we, it's, I think in my view, it is dying. And I, I think a lot of what we have been talking about, the celebrity culture, con men coming in who can make a lot of money are perverting and taking advantage of some good natured people who sit in the pews. And I think the embrace of Trump, I agree with you, Paul. I think as everybody says, it's a symptom to underlying rot that has existed for a long time. And the idea of getting behind a strong man that can be our champion and go get those people out there that are causing us problems. I think that is all a part of the rot. And I, I am realistic in my assessment of I, God can do anything, and I hope God will reform and renew and lead people to repentance and really drastic and needed change. Realistically, I don't know if that's going to happen. Idealistically, I hope that people like you, some of my other friends who, who I know are still hanging on to the evangelical label, or maybe not, just calling themselves Christians and trying to forge other ways, will foster a new sense of Christian community. That's my ideal hope. And maybe doing this podcast, Veterans of Culture Wars, is a part of that. I want to see this massive reformation and people really just get back to Jesus and, and the New Testament community of churches taking care of each other, looking out for the marginalized that seemed to be so much a part of early Christianity. Growing up, it was hammered into me that absolute truth is a thing. Things are black. Things are white. There's not a whole lot that's gray when it comes to statements of fact. And the gospel is a message about absolute truth for everyone and all of our lives and, and, uh, and the afterlife and all that. It is about absolute truth. And the biggest it's hard to pick the biggest distressing yeah, thing yeah. about Trump. One of the main things that, that Trump has accomplished is making the idea of truth seem unknowable. This is exactly what Putin did in Russia. Steve Bannon, his advisor, had the phrase, he, he would say, we got to flood the zone with shit. That's what he said. Just push out tons and tons of stories. It doesn't matter what's true, what's false. Make it so that people are so ob obsessed with the could this be what's going on? Nobody can actually know what truth is. And so I worry that QAnon is the future of the evangelical church more than a return to an, any understanding of absolute truth. And more and more. I mean, I isn't it crazy? It's absolutely yeah. crazy. And like I was watching 
I was watching the Seahawks game last night and a commercial came on of Franklin Graham just plainly laying out the gospel. And I found myself thinking about more the connections that we see between intense religious experience and mental illness than thinking about the beauty of the message that he's trying to share. Because when we have the same people trying to tell us that behind the scenes, there's this massive international cabal of baby eating pedophiles that run the world. I just love the word cabal. I can't can't say the word cabal (laughs) enough times. (laughs) (laughs) That, That, Every damn, and ultimately, it's this massive conspiracy theory that is somehow necessary to prove that Trump is a good person. <laughs> it's like somebody who is on his face, and such a clearly terrible human being, is secretly selfless and doing all of this in order to, to save all these children, and to have those same people spit out just these absolute insane falsehoods and then try to tell somebody about jesus like how in the world is anybody's witness valid when that is part of their belief system now as well yeah, the credibility is just gone yeah. man and on another uh podcast uh, young adult movie ministry which zach and i are fans of uh with Alyssa wilkinson who's a film critic at vox and uh, sam thielman I believe she used it to be was. a Christianity Today as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Wow. The film critic okay. for Christianity Today. I think she made the comment, or was it Sam, that QAnon seems like it is a replacement for the dispensational rapture type theology where mm-hmm. people are looking for different world events that are going to bring about the end of the world. It's like you're hunting and pecking across the internet, wasn't as prevalent, obviously, in the 80s and 90s, but you're reading these weird books and like making all these connections with dots and a chalkboard of how the end is going to come about. And it just seems there's been a replacement there. I, I mean, it was definitely no the rebirth of, sorry, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, Zach. I, I think when I was a kid, Henry Kissinger was the antichrist and Russia, the Soviet union was going to be marching on Israel any day. And we read it clearly in the Bible. And Oh, by the way, in the middle of Jerusalem are the letters USA, and, and, you know, <laughs> and we just knew. And so we're just we're sure that the, the world was going to hell in a handbasket, so we were constantly looking for proof of that, and Jesus was going to come in the sky and blow a horn and get us out of here, and all these bad people were going to fry. And uh, it was, and I think this is the newest iteration of it. And I'll tell you a quick story a prophet, as we have in our tradition, somebody who tells things that they couldn't know if they didn't hear them mystically. And by God, I've seen people do it. So I, somehow it happens out there. And uh, this guy, this was a friend of mine, and he was the first person that ever said the words QAnon to me. And he said, you got to watch these videos. And I watched about four hours of this absolute cracky nuttiness <laughs> of, of a person that speaks on a regular basis at a big church that are friends of ours. And so my friend tells me, and I went back to him, I said, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. And he he said, I'm going to prove it to you. He said, by the end of 2018, Hillary Clinton will be in prison in Guantanamo for pedophilia, as will John McCain. And I'm like, wait, the dead John McCain? Oh, he's not dead. He's not dead. (laughs) Okay. The very first Q drop was saying (laughs) that Hillary Clinton has already been arrested. Like, yeah, I I did see that she was supposed to be arrested in 2017, but my friend guaranteed me and he said, I will never give another (laughs) prophetic word if she's not in prison by the end of 2018. And and yeah, no, he's still out there (laughs) prophesying. And that's the craziness out there. And he was saying, yes, 60,000 people, including Tom Hanks and the Obamas and they're all going to be in prison in Guantanamo. And it was Robert Mueller that was working on the investigation. Oh, he's not investigating Trump. So it's just crazy. Like it's been proven completely wacko and untrue. And still, I think because of this sort of spiritual rapture for all the world's never going to convince us that God doesn't have a bigger plan. We we're very susceptible to buying into it. It's it, they're doing the same thing with that. A psychic does with a, 
with a cold read. They throw out enough stuff and your brain latches on to the things that end up being correct and minimizing and forgetting all the things that aren't correct. And it's all the, all the things that they talk about are things where there's no evidence for their existence, but they can say absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. It's designed to be unprovable so that they can just continue on believing that we're always on the cusp of something. If Trump loses, I guess it, it's going to keep going because this is just the, the deep state won this round. <laughs> <laughs> now he's going to, yeah, he'll work it into his network or whatever he's going to do if he leaves office and continue to out the cabal in the deep state that's trying to get him. And, and from the moment that I knew I was going to be leaving the church I was at shortly was... 2017 it was just after it was around Thanksgiving or no it was 2018 sorry the previous Thanksgiving I had an argument about Trump with my mom and our family Thanksgiving got cancelled and I was uh, okay, so actually it was 2017 then because it was between then and Christmas. Sorry. I was in the green room. You're working at church. out the timeline in yeah. your head. Okay, great. <laughs> I was I was in the green room at church ready to to go out when service was gonna start to 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 play music in the worship band. And one of the pastors came over and I was just by myself and he was just asking how are you doing? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna be honest and vulnerable here. Anxious and, and stressed out about the Christmas season, getting together with the family because the last time you know, around Thanksgiving, that did not go well. And uh, just in general, the evangelical embrace of Trump and how that's impacted my family has been incredibly stressful and traumatic. And it doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm just going through a rough time trying to, to deal with this stuff. And he looked at me. I think he like steepled his hands. Like I'm taking in this information. I'm nodding. I'm thinking like putting together his pastoral response. And he said, Hillary was connected to 144 murders. So who are we supposed to vote for? (laughs) (laughs) And she's been very busy. I just shut down. I just, okay. I can't have a real conversation based in reality with this guy. And for this to be my pastor, he he wasn't the lead preaching pastor, but he was the guy that would preach if the lead pastor was on vacation or something. And it wasn't a huge church. So I, I knew them well, but I was just like, how can I take any wisdom from this man? How can I believe that, He is preying on his words and God is imparting things to him to to shepherd the flock. Hi, everybody. Let me interrupt this podcast with uh, David and Zach for just a moment. And I want to read you something. This is a personal message I received from a follower on the TikTok platform. Some of you may have never heard of TikTok. But it's a platform for younger people, and I've been spending some time reaching out to young people there, and I've gotten some followers, and it's been kind of fun. I've had some videos go viral. I have one video that I made that has been seen now by over 422,000 people. Isn't that amazing? It's taken off. But let me read you a personal message I got on TikTok, and I'll just read part of it. But it says, Dear Pastor Paul, thank you for what you're sharing here on TikTok. Years ago, I came out of the closet and had to leave my church and lost some of my family. And it's been a discouraging and lonely time. And to hear somebody like you say, I'm okay and God is not mad at me, means the world to me. Keep doing what you're doing on TikTok. I'm a follower and will share with everyone I know. 
Now, this message from this young person is just one of many I'm getting from young people who say, I don't go to church anymore. I'm an atheist. I'm agnostic. I've been chased off from the evangelical church by the culture wars that David and Zach are, are, and I are talking about here on this podcast. And I just love it. And I do live uh, conversations on TikTok, and I just have hundreds of young people coming on and asking questions about the Bible. So I want to ask today for your prayers. If you have a TikTok account, um, follow me. Uh, you know, the more followers you get, the more TikTok. We'll put your videos out there. Watch my videos and all of that. Those are a way many of you ask how you can help with a nonpartisan evangelical. So you can join my Patreon page like I talked about at the start of this podcast. But another thing you can do is follow me on TikTok, watch my videos, do comments. All of those things help build uh, the momentum for sharing my stuff out there. And also join my YouTube channel. Yes, I have another social media platform, but TikTok and YouTube, two places I'm trying to reach out to the younger audience out there. And so I really appreciate you joining me on those platforms. Subscribe on YouTube to my nonpartisan evangelical channel and follow me on TikTok at Old Pastor Paul. That'll really help. And you don't have to spend any money at all. You can give me some money on Patreon if you want to, but just by sharing, subscribing, following, and reading my stuff, putting likes on it, all of those things help spread the message of the nonpartisan evangelical to young people that God is not mad at you. And they love the message. And I love the messages I'm getting back from them. So I'll take your prayers, your likes, your subscriptions, your following, and everything you can do to help spread the message of the nonpartisan evangelical podcast that God is not mad at you. Now back to this podcast with David and Zach, the veterans of culture wars on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. We don't like to admit it, but in the, and if I can say this fairly, the white evangelical church, predominantly white, this has become a litmus test of where you are spiritually. Would you guys agree with that? Is, is it, is the voting for Trump becoming a Christian, a test of our Christianity? Yeah. yeah. I definitely see that with a part of my friends and I, I would say that is there for sure. There are other people who maybe loosely identifies evangelicals that I, I see that are questioning things. And there is a lot of the whole evangelical and I'm a Republican. I'm voting for Trump because I'm voting for the Republican platform, but I don't right. necessarily like him. So to be fair, there is some nuance out there. And there are some people who realize the QAnon stuff is bullshit. And Trump is, it's just there. But then you go into the the whole platform thing and down the rabbit hole of politics and whether it's about power or what values uh, should we be thinking about when we vote. And people can have all different answers on that, but that certainly makes it more complicated. But Paul, I want to ask you something. I, sure. I was listening to an earlier nonpartisan evangelical podcast. You had mentioned that you were a huge Rush Limbaugh listener back in the day. And uh, Back in high school, I was certainly more conservative. I was newly saved, so I was zealous and politically conservative. And I was listening to Rush Limbaugh in high school, and I've joked with Zach. That kind of explains why my dating life was zero, like a conservative <laughs> listening to Rush Limbaugh. But what were some of the things that led you to question or maybe deconstruct that political angle from your Christian faith? What were maybe some of the highlights of the events that... Uh, led you away. And forgive me, listeners out there, if you've already told this story, but I was just curious about that. Absolutely. Now, this is a conversation, not an interview. So that's great. I, I, I think I grew up a, a little bit like Zach. I, I think I always thought there was something wrong. I, and I couldn't really put my finger on it, but I, always, I de define it now. Of, I always wanted to love people. I had, there was something inside of me said, boy, I wish God would let us love people, but I know we can't because they're bad and evil and horrible out there, but I wish we could. And, and so I, I was going through a, a spiritual revival, if I want to use that word, 
in my early married life. And so my theological beliefs were changing a little bit from this staunch, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do, to more of of a a grace-filled belief in what Jesus did on the cross, if I could say that. And in the midst of that, of listening to two to three hours of Limbaugh and biting my nails off because, God forbid, Al Gore become president and the country just go to hell in a handbasket. And thank God the Republicans did all this illegal and underhanded stuff to make sure George Bush was president. I began to start to feel like something's wrong here. And so really, I, I felt like just there was a compunction in me. And some might say it was God's leading or just something in me said, hey, why don't I give up Rush Limbaugh for a week? And, and by Rush Limbaugh, he was my main thing and one of the greatest radio guys who's ever lived. He was fantastic at what he did. And so I went and so finally decided to give it up for a week. All right wing media, Limbaugh, Hannity, Fox News. And and it was amazing how it changed my life. I, I realized very quickly the impact this intake was having on me of making me angry, frustrated, angry at people, seeing people as horrible. And just a week of turning it off, and maybe some of this may be something that was inside of me already, I started feeling different toward the world around me. And, and so I just know there was something in that media that was really impacting me. And so I really never went back to it. And yeah. It, it is interesting that even, even in that time, the Al Gore, George W. Bush time, that it seems like con- conservatives knew that they weren't outwardly projecting a motivation of, of that it was, that was grace-based. The fact that George W. Bush had to brand himself a compassionate conservative was yeah. admitting that's not normally what a conservative is. And I've thought about that a lot <laughs> as we've seen the refrain within in this administration, the cruelty is the point that we have policies over and over designed to inflict massive ma- maximum pain on people that are not part of the club. From child separation to even, I, I think that, conservative positions on abortion have a lot to do with wanting women to be punished for making the wrong choice. Wow. And And maybe a belief that there are certain races out there that are a little more loose with their morals and sure. Having children out of wedlock. If I use my air quotes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rather than an understanding that a society built around supporting people at the lower ends of the financial ladder and trying to help lift everybody up is going to make situations where women feel their only choice is to give up the child less common. Uh, And even in that, and my wife, went into politics in 2007 and served as mayor of our city for two terms as a Republican. But even in the midst of all of that, looking around and saying, okay, I'm a part of a party that doesn't want people to vote. We, we yeah. need people not to vote. <laughs> yeah. It was always a, a problem for me. And, and boy, we're seeing it big time now uh, that Republicans just have to find ways to keep people from voting because the ends are so important. So all of that became a real dichotomy for me to start to say, I, I, shouldn't some morality be important to us in the midst of this? Yeah, what's going on in Harris County, Texas especially, is just, and there's all kinds of places over the country, but it seems like Harris County has been a lot in the news. It's a heavily Democratic country county, but it seems like people are coming out anyway, and the lines are long, and at one point you're so inspired that people are willing to wait. I think I've seen 11 and 12 hours to vote, but this is the United States of America and people are literally having to wait that long to vote. It is just, it's horrifying that we're at this level. Uh, I completely agree with you. 
I'm talking to people about the Electoral College and I'm saying, hey, this kind of means I, I'm in California. It, my vote for president is worth a fraction of what the vote of a person from Wyoming is. And is that fair? <laughs> and people are like, Republicanism has gone to this place. We're not a democracy. We don't want the mass mobs choosing the president. And I'm like, are you hearing what you're saying right now? <laughs> I mean, do, do you really think Christ would be here saying, yes, you want to make sure to keep the mass and the mobs in check? I don't really see that in the Bible. And so I think that was a lot for me was just, I kept reading the Bible, which is a dangerous thing. And I kept saying, boy, it doesn't quite line up with all this other stuff. I, I I've, see some I've, more, I've more socialistic. a lot. Dave was always more of a theology nerd than me. I, I won my fair share of sword drills in elementary school. <laughs> I remember like... You better up, explain what that is. That, uh, people's mind gets going the wrong direction. Oh, that. oh, yeah. That's common activity <laughs> for a, a challenge to see who could look up a Bible verse the quickest. So like I, I memorized all the books of the Bible in order when I was about 10 in order to win a two liter of soda. And I had a cassette tape with a guy wrapping them, which helped. <laughs> and sword drills, they'd be like, Ezekiel, 7.30. And whoever could get there the, the quickest would, would be the winner. And whenever my family would go on vacation, if it was over the weekend, we would go to church wherever we happened to be. And I remember like winning like Bible trivia and drill stuff at churches that I'd never been at before and having the other kids be like, who's this guy coming in? <laughs> Like, like, I was a, like I was a pool shark. <laughs> Bible champion. But I brought this up with Dave. I, I don't know. What are the actual verses that, that specifically prop up the platform of the Republican Party that, that supposedly is taking this all from the Bible? I just, I don't see it. Have you figured that out, Dave? No. <laughs> Dr. Wayne Grudem, who we have an episode about because we, we have an episode next week on evangelicals and Donald Trump, and we focus on a letter that he wrote. Uh, he has tried to answer that question in, in writing about politics in the Bible and trying to line up the conservative Republican platform with the Bible, but it's, it's nonsense. We have to realize, and to be clear, it doesn't line up with a Democratic platform either. America was founded in 1776. It was a product of the Enlightenment. When we evangelicals read the Bible, we interpret the Bible through grammatical, historical lenses. That's what evangelicals talk about. The words mean something, but also the history and culture that people wrote the Bible in also means something. And it was a monarchy. And a lot of the people, Jesus' disciples were all a part of an oppressed people group. As Israel is a small nation, the Old Testament was part of an oppressed people group. So it wasn't written as this, here's how to do politics and here's how to rule and exercise power over people. I bring this up on a podcast episode. Jesus, when he was tempted in Matthew 4, he, Satan promised him the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would bow down and worship Satan. And Jesus declined. Jesus absolutely stood firmly by his values and his morality and declined political power. His values were more important than exercising power on this earth as, you know, what I believe him being God incarnate. He still stuck to his guns on the values question. Yeah, and, and not only an oppressed people, but then oppressors, as, mm -hmm. as happens so often, is an oppressed group is looking for somebody else to look down upon. And so is the people hurt of Israel. People hurt people. Looked down upon yeah. the Samaritans. And, and so here was Jesus saying, okay, don't be a victim of the Romans. And when you're not a victim of the Romans, you're not going to be an oppressor of the Samaritans. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's a very different view of power. And isn't it, weren't the Pharisees looking for a strong man to overthrow the government? Wasn't that, I think the, the yeah. goal of the evangelical church looks so similar to what the Sadducees and the Pharisees were looking for. They wanted Israel to be made great again. And when the Messiah showed mm -hmm. up and he wasn't that strong man, they, they killed him. I, I also I think you, about you uh, when Israel was begging and demanding that God give them a king. Yeah. And who did they end up with? 
<laughs> Saul, right. who was a maniac and a terrible leader and did not help the country at all. And I, I think of that a lot with Trump. I think they were so intent on power and and forcing God's hand or something like like you hear all God picks our leaders. God put them there. I never really heard that very much when Obama was in charge. <laughs> like, Does that I mean guess, Kim Jong-un was put in power by God? And do yeah, we have to honor it, that? Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Uh, if, if God did pick him, he either did a terrible job or he gave you another Saul because you were begging and you needed to be taught a lesson. I don't know. And I always see this pragmatism of, He's a sinner, but David was a sinner and all of those things. I, I think the problem, and, and I, I think one of you said it earlier, I, we've lost all credibility of our voice in the culture because of this. We look like hypocrites because of how Franklin Graham talked about Bill Clinton versus how we dismiss everything for Trump. And I think what makes God mad at a, at a people group is when we no longer care if our command is to go and spread the word of the gospel are we not subverting one of the very primary commands that jesus gave us when we're losing a voice of credibility in pursuit of political victories to me that's the sin of the church right now it's not loving donald trump it's not wanting to have a ban on abortion it's letting those things drive us to say well even if we chase away a whole bunch of people from the church and lose our credibility in the culture, that's okay because the political wins are worth it. Yeah, And I would we'll say losing the, our voice is a big loss. We'll have the power, the political power to control. Who does that ultimately attract to the church? Oh. I, gr- Growing up, I remember being told over and over that witnessing could be as simple as living your life outwardly, loving others as God loved you first, and people noticing there's something different about you and wanting to know what that is, and that gives you an opening to talk about Jesus. When we look at Christians now, and we look at the the most prominent ones, and the most prominent examples of evangelical Christianity in America, do we see that, or do we see a craven lust for power? And going back on stated principles due to convenience, and well, that attracts people that are attracted to power. I think there's a reason why we keep hearing about young Republican college groups in Washington state. <laughs> there's a neo-Nazi in charge of a college Republican group oh uh, out, out in Spokane or whatever. Like those are the kind of young people that get attracted to this stuff. And it seems like we're really driving, we've we've given people this sort of all in or all out mentality. And I think you're right, Dave, it's unfair to over-characterize that, but but sort of the spirit over this thing is, hey, be us or be out. And I see a lot of particularly younger millennials are saying, okay, then I'm out and we're 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 driving them off. And Generation Z, because if I... If I was being a pure pragmatist and if Republicans would listen to me, there's a point where you have to say, having Donald Trump as a figurehead of your party, what is this communicating? Like people, there are studies that do show that people form political opinions while they're relatively young in their 20s. So those kids today, Generation Z or even the generation after that, they literally have in their head that this is what a Republican looks like when they look at Donald Trump. And that's... Even though I'm not a Republican, I'm not a political conservative anymore, it's terrible for the country. It, it is absolutely terrible for the country. The Democrats need a healthy party to compete with them. Right. But what's going on right now is just such an overwhelming disaster and, and so tragic that but you know, tri- here triggering we are. the libs is the highest ideal. Yeah. <laughs> Trolling right. is a major component of the Republican Party now. I've heard people make that. I've heard people make that comment about the Republican Party, especially out there in in California, Paul. That where Republicans have a little chance of winning statewide elections or around 
San Francisco or Los Angeles area, the conservatives just pretty much turn into a, a trolling factory. Now, uh, it's not so. It's not yeah. so. We, just as I'm considering if I'm still evangelical, I'm considering I'm still registered Republican and, and I just don't think I can be anymore. Hmm. And it, my friends from around the country, my Christian friends who think California is just the den of all evil, they think that's why the Democrats are such a dominant party here. But the truth is, it's because in the late 90s, the Republicans were in a tight gubernatorial election. And so they put a proposition on the ballot to take away services, health care services and th- such from illegal immigrants. And they said putting this proposition is going to get compel white voters to come out and vote and we can win this election for Pete Wilson. And yeah, Pete Wilson won the election and the proposition passed. The Supreme Court overturned it and an entire Hispanic population of California said we will never vote Republican again. And so the Republican Party in California has had to become completely the white anger party and now the QAnon conspiracy party. And so it's completely nuts. And you're and you said it so well, Dave, we need two, at least two really competent, thoughtful parties that bring what they have to the table or the system just doesn't work. And I think California is somewhat an example of that. I wouldn't vote for any of the Republicans they put up, but just having a Democratic supermajority, I don't think is helping us as a state either. Yeah. (laughs) It is very depressing times in the political world and in thinking about how evangelicalism that I have been a part of has contributed to this scenario you can see because i i I was converted in 1994 when i was 14 and i can see people talk about the seeds of ideas being thrown out there the seeds of ideas get thrown out and then crops and stuff starts growing and those seeds that was in the conservative evangelical world and especially in in the political arm of that the religious right the harvest that literally is happening is trumpism and this, and where we're at, and it's just, it definitely causes something a great deal more than pause, just genuine alarm at what's going well, on. And what I see happening in the church a lot, and, and again, it's the this underlying ideal of you have to adhere to these conservative values, and then young people like my kids are like, hey, I know gay kids. My daughter's in theater. And she, she had all kinds of gay kids around her when she, and she's like, dad, they're the nicest people I know. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think. And, and so she just had this struggle in her. of, I, I think those, I think God likes those gay people. And when we tell them, no, you cannot have an affirming attitude towards them, then, then they're choosing to go out. And I guess, so what's the solution to this guy's? What do, we, what do we do about this? How do we see this change in the church so that the good message of God or of Jesus Christ can be shared with people without this political taint getting in the way? Yeah. Jesus said <laughs> come on, greatest. answer that in 15 <laughs> seconds or less. Come on. We're coming up on an ad break. <laughs> Zach, you want to go for it? Uh, kill partisan media. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I, I, I really, I, as long as we have a Fox News, I don't think there's an answer. I, well, you know, the greatest commandment is uh, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that love there is, I think we all know, agape, unconditional love. In the framework of LGBTQ, which the evangelical church has just been horrible to absolutely horrible. Their people have just been devastated by the church excluding them, the treatment of them. We're going to be talking to an LGBTQ person on our podcast here soon. The embrace should be love. It should be unconditional love. Everybody is God's child. Everybody bears the image of God. It's getting back to those values. I think people, there are people out there that say, the church just can't talk about politics, but I disagree with that. I think we need to rethink, first of all, what the values 
that we should hold as Christians and what the morality we should hold as Christians. And we should enact that. The church should not endorse candidates, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having a sermon saying the child separation policy is evil and horrific because we are tearing families apart and the family is very important. So I think there can be political messages like that are aligned to teachings that we get from the Bible about treating people with dignity that bear the image of God. I I think it's just, it's going back to that foundational message of the gospel that God loves people and that we can find meaning and joy in life, not in doing this us against them type thing, but in really genuinely loving and having empathy to other people's stories. I, I, I think that all Christians should read Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail at least yeah. once a year. And it will probably resonate in different ways as they age. I didn't read yeah. it till several years ago. And understanding that he is speaking to pastors who were mistrustful of his movement and its motivations and methods. Remember that the vast majority of America did not think well of him even yeah. at, at the time that he died. And when I read that and the church that I was in, I realized that my pastor was absolutely the white moderate that MLK spoke of and that he said is a, is a greater hindrance to the progress of African-Americans in America than Klansmen. Klansmen at least were forthright with what they believe, but the inability for comfortable white people and pastors as their leaders, the inability of them to allow themselves to get uncomfortable and to try to empathize with the people that were hurting all around them. That's a massive problem in this country. And I was not a big Joe Biden supporter in the primaries, but as the pandemic has worn on and his campaign has pushed the message of him being the candidate who possesses real deep empathy, that's been incredibly powerful to me. And I did not expect that to be possible with Joe Biden. I've never disliked the guy, but he just seems like a bland, boring sort of guy. But the personal pain that he's experienced, it's evident that he cares deeply for other people and their experiences. And wouldn't wouldn't that be a nice change from where? Yeah. So (laughs) I, I I love you saying that about letter from Birmingham jail. Cause I, I actually, it's a big part of why I do what I do. I read that. Uh, my wife gave me a copy. I was on the beach in Pismo, California on New Year's Day uh, 2017 and, and read that about the white moderates and challenged myself. If I had been alive in 1961, 62, 63, 68, where would I have been? Would I have been quiet? Would I have been like, I don't, it, we're getting better. We're getting better. It'll come. It'll come. Or would I have been outspoken and and really feel like part of the division and the ugliness that we're seeing in this season is God compelling or, or is a human compelling to choose a side that we can't sit on the fence anymore. We're either going to have to speak out and say, this is not okay. Or we're going to have to say policy is so important. I have to go with my tribe. And uh, so I think you're right on. I think that letter from Birmingham jail was a life changer for me. Yeah, me too. I, I think, and, and Dave, you talked about this earlier. I'm in a place now of, I think generational change is the only thing that can fix where we are now. And that, that sadly means some people are going to have to pass away in due time, not early, not tragically, just, yeah. just <laughs> a natural want to die. Yeah, I'm, I'm not wishing death on anybody, but I'm thinking this generation is not going to change. And, and when, I, when I read the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, when I read Jesus 
looking at the temple and saying, not one stone of that's going to stand on top of the other. I hear times in history where God has said, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to wipe that thing out for something better to come. And so I do feel like we're in a season where people that have our, uh, the stance that I hear you guys talking about, we need to start asking, what does church mean? What does faith community mean in the next season? And let's not be pulled toward this old four Sundays in a building thing that drives us towards some things that I don't think are very healthy. But what does community, so I don't know, do you guys have any vision of what a good church community can look like as we go forward and in the future here? Yeah, I would, with that, I would go back to Acts chapter two, a group of people who are taking care of one another. I, I think it's clear they were reaching out to marginalized people. There's a lot of evidence that the early church was- They were socialist, by the way, it looks to me. <laughs> yeah, Marx really liked that verse. But uh, there's lots of evidence, I think, that a lot of scholars believe that women made up a good chunk of the early church, and women had no rights in that culture. Married women had the highest status, but then there were women whose husbands just divorced them for whatever reason, or women that were prostitutes, and that's where the shaved heads and every, all of that came in, and the head coverings that the Apostle Paul talked about. And actually, that verse, which is controversial, just real quick, Paul was asking for women to wear head coverings because the women with the highest status, i.e. women who were married or were widows, would wear head coverings in church. And he said, hey, all women should wear head coverings because he was trying to destroy the hierarchy. They were bringing mm -hmm. in the prostitutes and the, the poor women. And so he's saying, let's have everybody wear a head covering because it was all he wanted there to be an equal status. And that's one of the readings of that passage. So I think there's all kinds of evidence there. And in the New Testament, there's so many more examples where rather than me just being a white guy, let's just be honest, we have a lot of privilege. And I'm not saying this as some hipster liberal or some really enlightened guy. I think in a lot of ways in my past, I've been the moderate liberal, maybe that Zach was talking about. And I think in many ways, I still am. I'm still learning about this stuff. But I think we need to realize we tend to put our own boxes and our own way of seeing on people rather than really trying to listen to their stories and what they're saying and what their experiences are. We tend to think people have had the same experiences as we have in this culture. And that's just not the case. So I think we need a ton of more empathy. I think that's been a theme of this podcast that Zach's brought up and you brought up Paul and we, we need empathy for people's stories and what they've been through. Zach, do you have anything to add? Yeah. I encourage people to engage with the arts, with stories being told from people that have a different perspective and different background than you. We can't all be in churches where we have a, a, a massive disparity of the type. It's not a melting pot in every church just based on geographically the community that you're in. Growing up in Seattle, Seattle was very white. I did not know many minorities being in the suburbs, especially being closer to the city now. I The church experiences that I've had have been a little bit more diverse, but at least I've had access to movies and music and books. And there's all these ways of interacting with other people and their stories and learning about the greater outside world. Just as Christianity is not defined by American evangelicalism, it's a much wider net there's a lot to engage with yeah, yeah sure and I, I do love that Dave Acts chapter 2 says they took care of each other they got together and ate together they worshiped together they listened to teaching together and out of that came joy and what's the final part of that and God added to their number daily so I think what I hear you saying is they took in the marginalized, they loved the unlovely, and people from the outside in were looking and saying, wow, that looks, that looks pretty inviting. And Not uh, much of a litmus test there. 
Yeah, yeah, that's really, I, I love that idea. And if we were just inviting and inclusive, how much better could the gospel be shared with the world? Amen. People might actually come to us <laughs> rather than us having to try to cajole them in. So where can people find the podcast? It's uh, Veterans of Culture Wars. Where do they find it? Yeah. Tomorrow morning will be the release of the first episode. So it should be on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, so definitely should be able to find it out there. Please subscribe to us and uh, let us know what you think of the show. That's awesome. What, what's your first topic you're taking on? Our first topic was just simply defining evangelicalism, because that can be a tricky thing. So we have a conversation about that. And then toward the end of episode one, we talk about just growing up our different approaches to Halloween. So, you mean harvest oh, yes. celebrations? <laughs> trunk, tr trunk or treat, right? All Saints Eve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get to tell him with my exciting stories of not trick-or-treating until high school. <laughs> Lest the devil get me. We are a funny people, aren't we? And that's what it's called, Veterans of Culture Wars? Yes, you got it. An Evangelical and Explainer Podcast. An Evangelical Explainer Podcast. Awesome. We'll be listening in tomorrow. And uh, yeah, appreciate having time to talk with you guys. I hope we can do this again sometime. All right. Thank you Great. so much. Yeah, Paul, appreciate you having us on. Yeah, really so I hope it. everybody checks it out. It's, it's uh, Zach and Dave, Veterans of Culture Wars, and they'll tell you everything you need to know about evangelicalism. So check them out and appreciate everybody listening in.